Well, as always, church, it is good to be with you. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tyler David. I'm the downtown AM campus pastor, one of our preaching pastors and elders here at the Austin Stone. We're glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, go and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. To Ephesians chapter 4, for whether you're on an iPad or iPhone or whatever, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be throughout the text and the sermon today. So we're continuing on in our study of the book of Ephesians, and we've stated it several times before, we're in the second half of the letter to the Ephesian church, and this is where Paul is telling the Christians, here's how you should now live. whole point of the second half of the book of Ephesians is Paul telling these Christians, this is how you're supposed to live now. The first half of the letter is all about what God has done, and our entire salvation is owing to his work and his grace and his power. But now we live in such a way to bring attention to that grace, to bring attention to that power, attention to that mercy. And so last week we entered into a section of the letter where Paul begins to tell us who you are, Christian. What your composition is, Christian, if you're in Christ. That in Christ you now have two selves. You now have two people in you. You now have two selves. Now the language Paul uses is old self and new self. And in every single believer, you have an old self and a new self in you. The old self represents and is that person you were before Christ. All the ways you used to think, all the ways you used to feel, all the things you used to desire, all the things you used to do before Christ, that's the old self. Your old self only knows life apart from God. And it's in you, resides in you. But also there's this new self that God, through faith in Christ, God remakes us. Now we have new thinking and new desires and new actions to live out. That in every Christian there's an old and new self. Let's let's look at the text together, Ephesians 4, 20-24. You can see this for yourself. It says, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what you find in this text, that even though, Christian, you've been made new, the old self still resides in you. This is a consistent theme throughout the New Testament, that even though you've been made new, the old self still resides in you. Even though the old self and all of your sin. And all the ramifications of your sin were nailed to the cross with Christ. Even though that's true, old self is still in you. See, what the cross of Christ did for your old self was render it powerless, but it's still present in us. It's still present in us. So all of those old thoughts and desires you had before Christ are still in you. Lurking, looking for any and every opportunity to sin against this God who saved you, to sin against this God you now love. That is your old self. See, being saved, being saved means you should feel a tension in you that you never felt before. If you're actually saved, you should feel a tension in you you've never felt before. Following Jesus is not a path of serenity where you don't feel anything other than love for God. That's not true. You have an old self in you now and a new self in you now, and they war against each other. Your old self wants life apart from God, and your new self wants God and all that he says. And so Paul says, you have an old self and a new self, put off the old, put on the new. And that's what we talked about last week. But now he's going to move into verse 25 and tell us specifically what he means. He's going to get practical for us. He's going to say, okay, your old self and new self, here's what you need to do. Put off the old, put on the new, and here's how you do that. Here's the first distinction he makes. 
The old self is defined by falsehood, and the new self is defined by truth. Falsehood and truth. Look at verse 25. Verse 25. He says, therefore, therefore, having put away falsehood, old self, let each one of you speak the truth, new self, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. See, the old self was dictated by falsehood. The new self is dictated by truth. So it's really simple. Put off lies. Put on truth. Now you hear that and you're thinking, okay, pretty simple command. Nailed it. What's next? So we kind of think we have that one. It's pretty simple. Don't tell lies. Tell the truth. We tell our kids that all the time. It seems pretty simple. So we think we have this one down. But can I tell you, without exception, every single one of us in this room fails to keep this command. Without exception, every single one of us fails to keep this command. Now, you may not feel that way, but it's true. It's true. See, none of you would say you never lie. Like, none of you would say you never lie. But none of you would also say you're a liar. I doubt any of you would say, total liar right here. Like, well, don't hang out with that guy. Like, that's what it would feel like. He's a liar. None of you would call yourself that. Because when you see your own lies in your life, we tend to talk about it as an accident or a slip of the tongue. Like, we, we didn't mean to do it. It kind of just slipped out of there. And it's not like anything insidious or deceitful. It's just harmless, meaningless, superficial, no big deal. It's not that pervasive in our life, but when you look at your life and you get analytical and you get honest and you really look at it and say, no, do I have any place where I'm telling lies, living in lies? You begin to see there are lies everywhere. If you actually look at your life, you'll begin to see there are lies everywhere. So think about it this way. Think about the little ways you stretch the truth. The little ways you exaggerate. The little ways you tell almost all of the truth. I mean, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's basically true what I just said. Stretch it a little. So think about the things we tell people. Did you really pray for 20 minutes? More like 15. More like 5. Did you really exercise for an hour? More like 30. You'll play basketball instead. Like, did you really do it? Did you really give that amount of money? Did the story really happen that way? Did they really respond that way, like really that aggressively? Were you really that bold and confident? Did you really forgive that person? Right? You begin to see all the little ways you begin to stretch the truth. All the little ways we exaggerate what actually happened. So you see it in that way in your life, the way you exaggerate, the way you stretch the truth. But also, lying is more than that. Lying is more than just saying things that aren't true, though it is that. It's also keeping true things hidden. It's also keeping true things hidden. See, not only do you and I stretch the truth, we also keep the truth hidden. There are things you don't want others to know about, so you don't tell them those things. All of you hide things. You hide intentions. You hide hurt feelings. You hide bank accounts and spending habits. You hide relationships. You hide stories. You give the truth that makes you look good, but not the other part of the truth in that story that makes you look bad. You let people go on thinking you're something that you're actually not. It's insidious, and it's deep in us. Just me this week, I was, I was writing this sermon. And I, ran to, I was writing this, and I was thinking, like, this won't be a very convicting sermon. I don't really tell a lot of lies. And often as I wrote this, I began to see all the little areas where I've just exaggerated just a little bit. All the ways I've hidden just a little bit. It happened on Wednesday night. On Wednesday night, I'm about to some public confession, so get ready. On Wednesday night, I was, I was at a, our LDP gathering, and we're talking about 
don't know what we're talking about. We're talking about something, and I began to share, I began to share, like, what I was struggling to do in my spiritual disciplines. Now, when I was talking, I said that I got up at 5 a.m. Now, that's not true, but I said it, okay? And I was like, I get up at 5 a.m. and pray, and I honestly, I, at the time, I didn't feel like I meant it, but come to find out, I think I was trying to make myself look a little bit better than I actually was. So I said it, thought nothing of it. Then later on in the conversation, one guy said, do you really get up at 5 a.m.? And what I should have said was, no. I tried, and I snooze every time. Instead, what I found myself saying was, well, you know, it's just hard to do sometimes. You know, it's just hard. What? You didn't say anything. Because my flesh, my old self, wanted him to think, man, Tyler's pretty godly. I had the truth and I hid it. I wanted him to think something about me that wasn't true. You do that all the time. You let people go on thinking you're one way when you're actually not. Falsehood and lies are all over us. They're everywhere. And the reason they're so pervasive is because they've been with us from the very first sin. The reason lies are so pervasive in our lives is because they've been with us from the very first sin. The very first sin against God that we committed had to do with a lie. Satan came to our first parents and said, here's an alternative to the truth. And he gave them this lie where they could have everything God gave them but apart from God. All the meaning, all the purpose, all the identity, all the value, you could have that apart from God. He created a world that didn't exist. That's why lies are so appealing to you and to me. They, they give you this facade of power where you can create a world, create a person that does not exist with lies. And so Satan created a world that didn't exist. We didn't need God. Well, we were at the center and God was, was at the fringes. And you and I have been doing the same thing ever since. We've been trying to create people we want to be that we're not. Create worlds that exist, that we'd love to exist, but they don't. See, lies and falsehood are not small sins because their presence in your life, even the slightest exaggeration of truth, their presence in your life reveals Satan's ongoing influence over you and over me. Over you and over me. See, Jesus talked about Satan a lot of different ways, but he called him the father of lies. He could have called him the father of lust, father of pride, but he called him the father of lies lies because at his character at his root he's a liar and so when you and I partake in lies by speaking them or living in them we speak the language of the serpent in the garden we join in his rebellion against the true God in our lies see they go deeper than just some superficial thing you said a slip of the tongue they go deep into our heart that we want to create a world where we don't need God that's why lies are a big deal, and your old self is defined by them. If you're in Christ, your old self is saturated with lies. It loves lies. It believes lies willingly. That's your old self. But you've been made new. You have a new self. And you've been made to look like God, not like Satan. See, because when you are made in the image of God now, you've been remade, you're able to reflect what he's like. Well, what is God like? Is he a liar? No. He's true. That's why he's to put off falsehood and put on truth, because we want to reflect what God is like, and God is not a liar. Look at verse 24 and 25 again. You see the connection here in the text. Paul says, and to put on the new self, 
The new self of what? Is created after the likeness of God. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So because you're reflecting him now, because your new self reflects God now, what do you do? Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. So you think about this idea of putting off falsehood and putting on truth. You have to ask the question, well, what does that mean? How do I do that? What lies do I put off and what truths do I put on? Because there are so many different lies you and I believe in this room. There are so many different truths in the scriptures that we could talk about. So where do you start? How do you know? Well, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you two major fundamental lies that your old self always believes. Two major fundamental foundational lies that your old self will constantly promote to you, constantly bring up in your mind and constantly present to you them as truth. These two lies are this, is that God's word is not trustworthy and that you define who you are. That God's word is not trustworthy and you define who you are. So this way you can know what the lies are and put on truth accordingly. So let's start with the first lie. Your old self always believes that God's word is not trustworthy. That God's word isn't trustworthy. See, the way you and I know God is by God speaking to us. God's word is central. He speaks to us through this word. Jesus Christ himself is called the word of God. So God speaks to us by his word, and your old self immediately begins to distrust, discredit, and doubt what you're hearing. Doubt what you're reading. Immediately. Now, sometimes your old self will totally reject the word of God and all that it says, but most of the time what your old self does is not reject all of it, just certain parts. Not reject all that God has said, just certain claims that he said. See, most of you in this room have a disposition of trust and honor towards the Bible. Most of you do. That's why you're in this room. You have some disposition of trust towards the Bible. And all of our old self is fine with the general trust of God's word. It's when you get in the specifics where you find yourself not trusting. See, we're okay with God speaking generally until he speaks to us in our situation and contradicts us. The old self hates that because the very first lie of Satan was not a total rejection of God's word. The first lie was not a total rejection of what God had said, just rejected certain parts. It just rejected certain parts. The first lie of Satan was not, there is no God. The first lie of Satan was not, God has never said anything. The first lie of Satan was not a brand new statement. No, the first lie was a subtle twist and turn of the truth. Genesis 3, let's read it together. Don't turn there. It'll be on the screen behind me. Let's read this story, the first lie. Satan, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan's first question to Eve is, are you sure you heard him right? Are you sure? I really really think about it. Did he really say that? And Eve responds with a mostly correct statement, because she actually adds to the word of God, God never said, if you touch it, you'll die. She actually added that, so there's already some confusion in Eve's mind as to what God actually said. 
But she says, mostly right, if we eat of that tree, we're going to die. And Satan's response is, come on. Surely you won't die. Surely he's exaggerating just a little. Surely he's stretching the truth just a little. Surely he's just saying you'll die to really show you he's serious, but he doesn't really mean what he says. I mean, how often have we read the Bible and thought the same thing? Surely God doesn't mean what he just said. Surely that can't be exactly what he means. This is the lie your old self will constantly promote to you. Your old self will constantly say when you read a text, it speaks to your situation, you will feel this desire of, did God really say that? Do you really have to forgive everybody? Even that person? Surely your circumstance is unique. Surely your situation is different. Surely God is kind. He wouldn't want you to do that. I mean, did, did he really say that he forgives every sin, even that one you committed? Did he really say you have to make disciples? Did he really say you have to give? He must not know in your financial situation and what you want to do with your money. Surely you are unique. Surely he didn't mean what he said. Every time you hear the scriptures, you have to know the old self will be telling you those sorts of lies. This is the old self's natural disposition, natural demeanor towards the word of God. It needs no help. It needs no encouragement. It will always promote those lies. So you should not be surprised, Christian, when you hear the word of God, you read the word of God, and you immediately begin to doubt it. That's your old self. It doesn't need any prompting. It doesn't need any help. I've been realizing this the last couple of weeks, about two or three weeks ago, for about two weeks straight, I would wake up every single morning, the very first thought in my brain, very first thought was, life is meaningless, there's no hope, God doesn't exist. Good morning, Lauren. Like it was depressing to wake up every morning and the first thought in my brain was, this is meaningless. The first feeling I had was hopelessness of, At best, God doesn't care, and at worst, he doesn't exist. I had that feeling every morning for about a week and a half, two weeks. And and I began to analyze, say, what is going on in me? Why do I feel this way? I began to ask, like, is it sin in me? Did I do something last night? Did I sleep wrong? What did I do? And I began to realize, this is just what my old self does. This is always what my old self thinks. Is anything God says that is true, it immediately doesn't trust it it immediately calls it into question. And what got, well, it got even worse when I began to entertain these thoughts. You've all been there. You have a lie in your brain about who you are, about who God is, and you begin to entertain it. You begin to think, well, I mean, maybe he doesn't exist. I've never seen him before. A lot of evil in this world, a lot of suffering in this world. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe this all is meaningless. It is not noble to entertain lies. It's not a noble thing to entertain things that are not true. That's what I was doing. And I didn't snap out of it until I finally told myself, that is a lie. Life is not meaningless. God himself holds it together. God himself wrapped himself in flesh and dwelt among us. It's not meaningless. That's a lie. I had to tell myself, I had to remind myself, I had to put off falsehood. You have to do this with yourself. When you hear lies like, surely that sin can't be forgiven. Lie. It's a lie. Surely I shouldn't have to follow his word. Surely he's not going to come through. Lie. Surely he can't provide for me and protect me in this situation. Lie. 
there's a moment you have to call it for what it is. It's a lie. And your old self will constantly promote them. And you have to put them off. Call them what they are. But you also have to put on truth. Not just put off falsehood, but put on truth. So your new self believes the word of God is truth. Your new self loves the word of God. It needs the word of God to believe. See, he believes the word of God is not just true, but truth. There's a difference. Not just true, but truth. It's, if it's true, it could be a perspective. It could be one way of seeing it. Is a true perspective? No, the word of God is truth. So anything that contradicts what God has said in his word and the point he's making in the text, it's wrong. It's a lie. Whatever God has spoken to in the scriptures, anything that contradicts it or goes against it is a lie flat out. No matter who says it, no matter who thinks it, it's a lie. That's what Jesus calls the word of God in John 17, 17. He's praying and Jesus says, sanctify them, those who believe in him, in the truth. Your word, God, is truth. So you and I, if we're going to put on truth, we have to saturate ourselves in the word of God. To go to the word of God and look at what it says and believe. Because listen, you cannot create faith in yourself. You can't just say, believe, 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 believe. It's not going to work. You can't muster up enough faith to believe what God has said. You have to go to his word and see for yourself. Not just generally who God is, specifically in the text. What does it say? Because the word of God produces faith in us. The word of God produces trust in us. It's his word that's the power, not us. So for me, for me in that moment, I was, those mornings I'd wake up and I would, those thoughts would make me feel fearful and hopeless. And so I kept saying, they're not true, they're not true, they're not true, they're not true. But the lies didn't go anywhere. What I had to do is go to the word of God and say, Father, put truth on me. Let me believe this, something specific promise of his. So for me, the text that I've gone to a lot is Isaiah 43, 1. I'll read it to you. It says, but now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, Tyler, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by my name. You are mine. I didn't have faith before I read that text. And I just read it And I beg God, give me faith to believe this because I have fear in my life, hopelessness in my life, and that's telling me that I'm not believing this word. Give me faith to believe this. So I meditated on that and memorized that, and what it began to do is produce faith in me. I couldn't just muster it up. Neither can you. So if you're going to put on truth, you can't do it if you don't know the word of God. It just can't happen. And most of you have been in church for any period of time. You've heard, okay, I should read my Bible. I should know the Bible. But you see it as a neutral thing. If I do it, great. But if I don't, no big deal. Can I tell you, if you don't memorize the word of God, if you don't know the word of God for yourself, lies are going to overwhelm you. They are. The way God produces faith is through his word. So you need to hear it preached on Sundays, but you need it Monday too. And Tuesday and Wednesday. Every morning you need it. And if you don't, Look at it, it's fine. Go back to it. Every time you have those fears and those lies that overwhelm you, go back to his word. Go back to promises. That's how you put off falsehood, and that's how you put on truth. It's by knowing his word. So that's the first lie. Your old self is always going to tell you the word of God can't be trusted. The second lie is this. The second lie is that you define who you are. 
that you define who you are, that you are what you do. You create meaning. You create value. You define who you are. See, every single one of you in this room was created by God to receive meaning, to receive purpose, to receive value, to receive identity. You were created to receive all those things from God, but yet we want to find those things on our own. We don't want him to tell us who we should be. We don't want to hear what we should do. We want to find it on our own. We want to define ourselves by our works. See, this was the sin of Adam and Eve that they chose in the garden. When they disobeyed the word of God, they did it because they wanted to be like God on their own terms. They wanted to be like God on their own terms. It's really fascinating to look at what Satan actually said to them and what he promised them. His main argument for why they should eat of the tree they weren't supposed to was what? If you do it, you'll be like God. Look at verse 5. Verse 5, it says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's what's fascinating. They were already like God. They were already made in his image. He said, I'm going to create man in my own image. He gave them a relationship between Adam and Eve to reflect his image in the community of the Trinity. He gave them dominion over the entire planet. What? To reflect his image and his authority over all things. They were already like God in so many ways. But what do they want? I want to be like God on my own terms. So instead of receiving an identity and receiving meaning, receiving purpose, they wanted to find it on their own. They wanted to earn it on their own. They wanted it on their own terms. And you and I have been doing the same thing ever since. Not receiving an identity, but working for one. Working for one. And you can see that you do this and I do this by how often our lives are defined by either arrogance or despair. How often your life and my life is defined internally by arrogance or despair. Because if you define who you are, if who you are is what you do, those are your only two options. Basically, you're either on the way to arrogance or on the way to despair. Here's why. When you define who you are, when you fail, when you let that person down, when you don't attain the job that you want or the status you want, you don't get the pleasure that you want or the dreams that you have don't come to fruition, when you don't get what you want and you fail that standard you set for yourself, what happens? You have despair, hopelessness, sadness, anxiety. Who am I? What am I doing? You may not show it, but you feel those things. You look inside and you feel that terror of, I don't know who I am anymore. I have no sense of self. And so what happens, if you, define what you, who, if you define who you are, you make a plan, you make strategy, and you go, okay, I'm going to work really, really hard. And I'm going to attain that thing that I want, whatever it may be, approval, acceptance, comfort, power, control, whatever it may be, security. I'm going to finally get that by working really hard. Well, then when you get it, what happens? Anytime you feel strong and competent is when you struggle to love other people who are different than you. You struggle to have empathy with anyone who struggles. And the hard part is when you get that thing you were after, you find out it's not as shiny as it looked. That relationship, that job, that passion, that dream doesn't satisfy the way you thought it did. So you're let down that way, and eventually you fail again. Eventually you let that person down again. You don't get that promotion. That money gets taken away. And all of a sudden, where do you go back to? Despair. Your old self is bent on defining yourself by what you do. All the time. 
all the time. If you fail, atone. Make up for it is what the old self always has to say. But your new self is not defined by your work. It's defined by the work of Christ. That your new self is not defined by what you do, by what Jesus has done. No longer is your joy and contentment and peace and destiny enslaved to how well you did or how good you are. It's rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because of him, all the pressure that you feel to create this identity through what you do is taken away. And now, so whether, whether you succeed or whether you fail, your joy, your contentment, your peace can stay, can stay the same. That's something only God himself can offer. Everything else will let you down, ups and downs, despair or arrogance. But in Christ, the new self that God's made you to be, what defines you, Everything that is most true about you is true all the time, no matter the circumstance. So this means you can rest on your best days. Those days where everything goes perfect. You can rest and not lord it over other people because why? Your best days don't compare to Jesus' perfect life. Even your best day can't earn God's love for you, God's favor for you. So you can rest and enjoy a good day, but not define yourself by it. You can rest on your worst days because even your worst days when you're full of insecurity, full of shame, full of sin. You can rest. Why? Because Jesus paid for every single one and God treats you as if you were Jesus. And you can rest in your darkest seasons. Seasons of suffering, seasons of evil. Why? Because Jesus got up out of the ground. As a guarantee that one day every wrong will be made right and every injustice and every evil and every ounce of suffering will be dealt with on that day. You can rest in ways no one else can offer. That's what God has done in Christ. So we have to put off the lie that we define ourselves and put on the truth that Jesus now defines us. So one of the most practical ways, that that's theological, one of the most practical ways you can live into this is through ongoing confession of sin and repentance of sin. Through ongoing confession of sin and repentance of sin, one of the distinguishing marks of your old self is your old self always wants to hide your sin. Always. And the reason your old self wants to hide your sin because your old self is telling you the fundamental lie is you define who you are. So if you fail, that facade of success is taken away. You don't have an identity anymore. So let's hide the sins so we can keep up the lie. So we can keep up the lie. Look at Genesis 3, 7 through 8. Don't turn there. Just look at the text. Look at what they do when they sin. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They're hiding from each other. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They sin, they go their own way to find their own meaning, their own purpose, their own identity, and what do they do immediately? They hide. They hide. They hide from each other, they hide from God in the trees. And can I tell you, if your life is defined by what you do, then you have to hide your sin. Because you have to keep up the the facade that you're performing really great, that you're really happy, you have no shame. You have to keep that up. If you define who you are, but God sent Christ so you don't have to hide anymore. So you're not defined by that sin anymore. You can be honest about who you are with God and with one another, not trying to hide 
and put on loincloths and hide in the trees from God. See, the fact that Jesus now defines who you are is why you should and can confess. In 1 John 1, he talks about confession and he roots it in the fact of the truth of God being in us. He roots the fact that we should confess and the truth being in us. In his mind, in the framework in 1 John, is if you actually believe the truth, you will confess. Look at 1 John 1, 8 through 10. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So if we confess our sins to God in this text primarily, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Do you see how he ties together the truth being in you and you confessing? The truth being in you and on you and you confessing. There are so many of you in this room, you're trying to hide your sin, you haven't confessed it yet, and it's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting. To be in that place where you're having to constantly keep up a facade that you're something that you're not. You've been in that place before where you're talking to somebody, you have that unconfessed sin, you never talk to God about, you never talk to anyone else about, and they start talking to you and you're always thinking, do they know? Okay, that's the question. Now, now I have to make sure to be very careful about how I answer this or they're going to find out about this. All of us do it. And can I tell you, even if you're not feeling that way now, the more you follow Jesus, the more tempted you'll be to do it. When I first started following Christ, one of the things I prided myself in was being vulnerable. I prided myself um, probably in an unhealthy way of being vulnerable. I'd go to anyone I just met. Hi, I'm Tyler. Here's my deepest, darkest sin. Like, it was pretty uncomfortable for people. They're like, whoa, we got close real quick. Um, And I had all kinds of issues for why I did that. But I remember thinking, okay, I would see people struggle with hiding sin. I I can remember thinking, going, I'll never struggle with that. I'll always be an open book. I'm not perfect. That's why I'll confess my sin. But can I tell you what I found about me and my old self? It's relentless. And so what you find yourself doing, the more you follow Jesus, you start confessing sins you're comfortable with, but keeping those sins you're ashamed of to yourself. I find that tendency in me all the time. I confess just enough sin so you'll leave me alone. Just enough sin so you know I'm taking it serious. The things that I feel really ashamed of, the things that I'm letting define me, I keep to myself. And why do I do it? Why do you do it? we want to keep up the facade that we're not needy. We don't want to admit that we're desperate, that we're needy. We don't want to be found out, but can I tell you, you've already been found out. You've already been exposed. Jesus' death on the cross exposes all of us. He found everybody out because he said, you don't just need a proverb from me, you need my death. You don't just need some good advice, you need me to do everything for you. That's how bad it is. You've already been exposed, so you're confessing your sin is saying, this doesn't define me anymore. That's why you confess. That's why you confess, because it doesn't define you. If you have unconfessed sin, you haven't talked to God, talked to someone else about it yet, you're believing the lie that you are what you do. You're believing the lie that your works define you. Now, when you confess that sin, there may be consequences, And it's grievous, and it's sad, and it's sorrowful, but in Christ, it does not define you. 
There is no sin, no matter what you're thinking about, that God cannot forgive in Christ. His son died. He takes sin more serious than you. But can I plead with you to be honest and confess it, not just the good parts that you're comfortable with, but even the bad parts you're still ashamed of. Because when you do it, you're saying, this does not define me anymore. That's why I can confess. And even though consequences may come, can I tell you, there's almost nothing more valuable than a clean conscience. There isn't. To not have constantly weighing on you and trying to carry your sins and make up for them. That's why Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Don't carry those things you can't, I'll carry them for you. So some of you don't know who to, you're like, I don't know who to talk to about this. Talk to one of our leaders in the front after the service. Others of you know who you should tell. You're thinking of that sin, whatever it is, you're like, yeah, this has been defining me for so long, or maybe it just happened. Don't let it define you by keeping it in. Be honest and talk to your spouse, talk to your friend, talk to your roommate, talk to your missional community. But don't believe the lie that you define who you are. It's not true. Christ defines who you are forever. So that's who we have to be as a people, to keep putting off falsehood and keep putting on truth. And can I end with telling you, we have to do this again and again and again. The text says to speak truth to one another. We need to remind each other of these things often, remind each other, hey, that's not true. Speak these truths to one another is what the text says. We have to be a people who speak these things and do it again and again and again because your old self is not going anywhere. Until you die or Jesus comes back, your old self will constantly be with you telling you lie after lie after lie after lie. Don't buy into the myth that says the more mature you get in Christ, the less you hear those lies. I think the opposite is true. The more mature you get in Christ, the more aware you are of all the different lies your old self is telling you about God and about you. It's always going to be there. So it's not enough to just read the word of God once in a while. It's not enough to just confess your sins once in a while. Daily, consistently, weekly, as often as you can. We need to do this again and again because we keep putting off falsehood, keep putting on truth, and the truth, the truth begins to set us free. The truth of God begins to set you free. I'll end with the promise of our Lord Jesus. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and you shall be free indeed. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to admit to you that if you were to keep a record of sins, God, who could stand? God, if you were to keep a record and hold them against us, God, who could stand? God, every single one of us in this room, every single person in this city, we are desperate for mercy. We need it so desperately. We can't look at our lives and have any warrant for your love, any warrant for your grace. And God, so often we believe the lie that we can somehow earn it, somehow make up. God, would you make us a people who put on the truth 
that your word is trustworthy. Put on the truth that Jesus defines who we are forever. God, would that make us a people who know your word? Would that make us a people who confess our sins to you and to one another? Because we're defined by you and not by us. God, make us, make us this unique people who war against this old self. And when we have victory, we wouldn't brag or boast about how strong we've been. We'd brag and boast about the power of the cross of Christ. That he has indeed rendered powerless every lie of the enemy and every lie of our old self. So that we could be the city on a hill to this city and say, look how freeing it is to be loved by the Son. Look how freeing it is to sit under his truth. God, make us a people who live into that, who know this Jesus and realize that knowing him is better than life. God, I ask these things that you would make us this kind of people in Christ's name. Amen. Church, let's stand, let's sing together.